Welcome to the Sunday Times Politics Weekly, where, as always, we explore the big political stories of the moment. I'm Mike Siluma, and thanks for joining us. This week on the Politics Weekly, we focus on a hot potato that has just landed on South Africa's lap, the impending visit of Russian President Vladimir Putin to attend the BRICS summit later on this year. Our country has been placed in a quandary after the International Criminal Court issued a warrant of arrest for Putin over alleged atrocities in the Ukraine war. The warrant compels South Africa as a signatory of the ICC's Rome Statute to arrest President Putin if he happened to land here or anywhere else where the country is a signatory to the statutes. To discuss this acute dilemma for our country, we joined in this episode by Professor Spamanja Zondi, who teaches politics and international relations at UJ at the University of Johannesburg, as well as Professor William Gumete, who's an associate professor at the School of Governance at University. You asked Mr. Ramaphosa to sit down first. I'm standing. Now I warn you, I need to put on my big girl panties and keep going. You can't have two speakers standing at the same time. Security services of the Republic of South Africa, you may intervene. There's been several attempts on my life. Lower that hand. The president is accused of that serious crimes. In order to pursue the greater good, you have to enable some people to eat a little bit. Corrupt people do not eat alone. They have a spider web. I now suspend the proceedings. I now suspend the proceedings. I have warned you. Welcome to the both of you. Uh, let, let us start with you, uh, Professor Zondi. The, the ICC, you know, most people would not engage in the life of a structure like the ICC as to why it's there and, and what is it exactly. Do, do you want to just give us a praise of, of what the ICC is? Yes, uh, good afternoon. Um, the International Criminal Court is a special court created um, in order to deal with issues that the, uh, the institutionalized court of the United Nations, called the Court of, of Justice, did not deal with. The Court of Justice is almost, almost like a constitutional court and that is meant to interpret the, uh, the Charter of the United Nations, but not to really deal with the violations of that charter. Uh, that may include uh, what was already increasing in the 1980s and 1990, um, violations that took the form of crimes against humanity and uh, crimes against nations, um, uh, genocides, uh, and things of that nature. Because they had realized that there was that gap, there was that missing arm in the international justice system uh, for an institution that would do that. And because that gap also related to the first that in, in many cases, national justice systems were inadequate or unable or disabled from dealing with these particular crimes that they would ordinarily deal with because the politicians have um, summarily uh, weakened them, summarily um, turned them into toothless dogs and intimidate them and so on. And because also the regional courts that have been established across the world, the European Court of Human Rights, the African Court of Human and People's Rights, and many others, um, mostly because they too 
uh, seemed uh, unable to deal with these particular crimes, then there was a need to create one uh, that would be cross-continental. And, uh, but this would not be fully inserted into the UN Charter and become a charter organization, but it would still have sufficient power on the basis of the countries that uh, ratify it. And then this court now now is ratified. The, the a treaty establishing this court has now been ratified by 123 countries, which means it still has to be ratified by 144 countries. Uh, but with this 123 countries, it has enough mm. teeth uh, to, to start to bite. And mm. that is what the court was done. It's still a, a, a court in its infancy. It's still being built up. Uh, it's still building its integrity and building um, its uh, uh, public trust in it. And that's part of the biggest challenge they have now. So it, it does not have its own, if you, if you will, its own police uh, arm or anything like that that can hunt down uh, people who are uh, considered transgressors? It was never meant to be. It was no court actually has an enforcement uh, and a police force, even our national courts. They do not have positive force. It is the state in which a court is that would have that. And in this particular case, the ICC is not in the United Nations, so it could have perhaps used the United Nations itself um, as a, and an institution that must create this enforcing uh, a tool and, and therefore must rely on enforcement by members and willing and able states across the world uh, to enforce its decision. That is why it has only been able to really uh, be very effective in cases where it has indicted a rebel group and a government that the rebel group is uh, challenging, then effects the arrest on behalf of the ICC, pretty much arrest your enemy that you are unable to defeat in war, mm -hmm. just arrest them and take them to the, to the yeah. ICC. Okay, uh, Professor Kumet, I'd like for you to come in here. You know, one of the, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, Professor Zondi has has just mentioned that not all countries are signatories or members of the of the ICC, and what one of the of the enduring criticisms of it is that uh, not all countries are in, but also some of the loudest uh, players on the globe uh, are not members, but they are urging other people to be members and for other people to be arrested, like the United States, for example. I isn't that a fatal uh, feature of, of the current arrangement, as things stand? No, thank you for having me on the program um, again. Um, just to say that, you know, um, South Africa was one of the original signatories to the Rome um, Statute in 1998, which created um, the I ICC. Um, and we were in Africa, um, the first countries that actually incorporated the Rome Statute, Statute into our national law. So what does it mean really is that crimes designated by the ICC uh, become crimes under South African law. So that's really is important. Now, the week really of the ICC is that, um, I mean, it has uh, 124 uh, members and out of Africa, out of, you know, African countries, 34 African countries are signatories. So Africa um, is the largest group. Now, the big, big um, 
players um, in the world um, that, that the US, Russia, China, and so on are not signatories. Now, that really is a, a, a fatal flaw um, of the ICC, because if you can remember in the past, many African countries and developing countries have criticized the ICC for the fact that, um, you know, the US and Russia and China are exempted. So their citizens and their politicians cannot be held accountable, but only African countries and developing countries are held um, accountable through the ICC. So that really is, it's, 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 it's a major, major flaw. And now more directly now with um, Russian President Putin coming there, coming to South Africa, the ICC has um, issues a warrant um, for, um, for his arrest. Now the technical question here is, since Russia is not um, a signatory to the ICC, what does it mean um, from a um, legality uh, uh, a point of view um, and so on? And I think when the South African government uh, said um, last week that it will seek legal advice to, to have a look at what do you do, um, although in the South African case, since we are a signatory and the original signatory um, to the ICC, and not only that, that we also... Um, turn the ICC statute, the ICC law also becomes our law. Uh, really, from a legal point of view, I can see no option but for South African government to actually arrest uh, Putin if he comes to South Africa, just, uh, you know, if he's strictly according to law. Professor Zondi, I, 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 we will come to the, to the, to the, to the nuts and bolts of the of the conundrum, you know, for South Africa um, in relation to Putin. But I wanted to to understand what was the thinking behind South Africa deciding to join uh, the ICC, because it seems to be to have been the bane of our lives. You know, we've we've had, I mean, from the days of Al Bashir, and now we, we've got Putin. You know, so what w- what was the rationale for us to to join the ICC? South Africa identified with a view, which actually, by the way, was pushed very strongly by developing countries, that the international justice system was inadequate to deal with these major crimes against humanity that were taking place in the world. And Africa pushed very strongly that we needed to have this mechanism created, machinery created, uh, to deal with this. There was a lot of resistance from the West, by the way. Europe did not favor this idea completely. The U.S. never favored it, and as a result, it stayed out of it completely. Big countries, the, the P5, did not favor it. You know? So Russia, China, Africa, the France, UK, U.S., they, they all opposed. It was actually the developing countries that felt you needed a multinational, international mechanism to deal with it, principally because, like South Africa, these developing countries believe very strongly that a multilateral system is what you need to deal with all issues, be it climate change, be it energy, be it uh, conflict now, also be it these crimes against humanity. And they believe very strongly that principle of multilateralism and the ICC was a, an extension of it. And that is why South Africa was very enthusiastic about it. And a few African, a number of African countries were also mm. very enthusiastic about it. It is countries in Africa that already had issues of concern um, that that would not have done that. So that is what explains uh, South Africa not just ratifying it very quickly 
and become one of the founding members and really championed the fact that it's one of the founding members, but then domesticize it uh, by, by turning it, as Professor Kometa indicated, into national law. Mm. But some people have pointed out, you know, you know, as as as, as you know, Professor Zonti, that uh, the the the, the in, it, it the intention may have been noble, but the practice actually is turning out to be different to what may have been envisaged. You know, for example, there, there, there's the abiding argument that, for example, the invasion of Iraq should have been classified as a as a crime. You know, the invasion of Libya should have been classified as a, as a crime. And yet the people who perpetrated that have walked away scot-free from the wreckage. Is, is that a valid criticism? Uh, let me just say this very quickly. Um, a, a, a lot of African countries, because they were enthusiastic about this, they also brought the issues before the ICC. That related to intra-African conflict, especially in the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. Um, then brought forward uh, the junta leaders, rebel leaders, uh, heads of armed militia, and all of that. And that had the implication of populating the case, um, the cases before the ICC uh, with African cases. Um, because we're enthusiastic about the, the court, we brought the cases to us. Now, those who were not enthusiastic about the, the ICC could not be expected to enthusiastically bring the cases uh, outside of Africa um, to the ICC. And there is the catch. Um, yeah, the country has always been reluctant, did not bring their people in, did not bring issues from their origin in, and, and all of that, because they were not enthusiastic about it. So in, in the real part of the reason why it's dominated by the African cases is because the Africans were enthusiastic about it. And of course, they, uh, they then now they develop the question about you no, know, but why is it not also doing uh, Iraq? Why is it not also doing other things? Who has brought Iraq to the ICC? We have not brought it. Um, others have not brought it. And those who are implicated in it have also promised that if you bring any of my, the United States, for example, that if you bring any of its people, soldiers, officials before the, 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 the ICC, it has already said that the ICC headquarters will be a military, a legitimate military target. It's like, they touch our people, we will show you flames. So that is the reason why then uh, you would have a situation where so many of those cases, Libya mm. and all that, would not serve before the ICC because they say we're not party to the ICC, therefore you would not touch us. Mm. This is what Russia, Russia is now using and saying we're also not part of the ICC. Um, anyone who arrests Putin, they might be a legitimate military target for us. And that creates a huge dilemma. Imagine if Sudan has to, have to arrest Putin and then has to become a military target. How, how can it defend itself? Yeah, It's a serious thing. And that is partly because the international criminal court issues are not purely legal issues. They are geopolitical issues. So it won't be decided on the basis of what is legally right or not right. It's also going to be discussed on the basis of how to manage the power balance and also how to uh, do diplomacy around it in order to enable the court to serve its purpose. Sometimes the judges of the ICC forget that they they are not pure judges. They are judges of a geopolitical court. So some decisions are correct, like it could be correct right now to indict uh, George Bush 
but it will be unwise for it. Mm. Not only that it might be bombed, but the US might kill it fully. Mm. So there are certain decisions that unfortunately in a situation where we have the power of the might, there are limitations about what we could do using the prescript of law and, and moral judgment. Mm. Professor Kumete, the, the, it, it would seem to me that the whole issue about whether South Africa should should or should not uh, arrest Putin as a result of the IEC decision is, is becoming a proxy basically for a tussle that's happening with our international relations as to where we should be standing in relation to the Ukraine war. You know, should we remain neutral or should we condemn Russia, etc.? What, what's your view of that? What, what, where I should think, South um, Africa be standing in, in that conflict? I mean, you, you know, this issue is far bigger than South Africa, and it's not just a South African issue. And this is now a global issue. I mean, here is where now the ICC, this is a test for the ICC, the legitimacy and the, the credibility and authority of the ICC. So it's far uh, beyond um, South, South Africa. Now, I mean, as Professor Zondi said earlier on, I, uh, you know, developing countries and particularly African countries now, the largest block of members of the ICC was, were very enthusiastic about the ICC because the ICC offers, uh, you, you know, above national courts, um, uh, offers uh, potentially a neutral um, international court to deal with some of the issues. I mean, if you think about it between, I mean, since uh, when it was started in 98 to up to tw- uh, 2017, nine out of the 10 cases of the IACC uh, was African. And the interesting thing about it um, was that Africans actually took the cases there. So whether it's government, uh, whether it's opposition parties or civil society organizations. So it was not Western countries that took African cases to the ICC. It was Africans who took the cases uh, to um, the ICC. Now, I think that uh, whether the ICC will survive um, the rush, you know, the Putin um, um, matter it's going to be it's going to be very critical now because a couple of years ago, some members of the African Union, African countries, wanted to leave. And I remember um, uh, in the first session as chair of the of the African Union uh, at the time, Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe, for example, had proposed that African countries withdraw uh, from the AU and instead form a, a, their own African court. Um, and in 2017, African countries. Uh, adopted at the AU a non-binding resolution calling for African countries to leave the ICC. Now, not many left. Um, it's only Burundi and the Gambia, um, although the Gambia then later reversed its decision and, 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 and stayed um, there. Now, nevertheless, because, it, it, I mean, for Africans, the ICC, not only for Africans, but also for other developing countries, still remain, um, you know, a, 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 a a credible uh, court above their own national courts to deal with um, African and developing countries disputes, which often are bigger than the countries or bigger than the, the national uh, uh, judicial system of countries. So that maybe is the, the first thing that one has to to recognize. Now, secondly, the thing is um, the question has been unresolved: how to bring in the non-signatories into the jurisdiction. Mm of the court and that's actually and just for the first time we now have Putin uh, as the leader of a country who's not a signatory is now you know is in the dock so to speak so I think this it will be the moment for almost the life um, 
the authority and the credibility of the ICC is uh, really is going to be tested up to mm-hmm. this because if Putin is taken, then it means, um, you know, individuals from the non-signatories like, you know, U.S. individuals will also have to be taken. Um, if somebody obviously lay a complaint against them, mm. but where where should South Africa be standing in in respect of of the war itself, the war in Ukraine? Do you think? You know, obviously, you know, because of our past, what we need to do, and and what our constitution is very clear that we have to stand for human rights. That's what our constitution is all about. So we have to condemn um, Russia. Uh, um, you, you know, for human rights abuses, and, uh, you know, we cannot run away from it because that's, that will be un, unconstitutional. And secondly, also, there's a bigger political context. Um, if, you know, if we allow Russia to get away uh, in invading Ukraine, that whole issue, the post-colonial, post-colonial African idea of su- sovereignty for African countries will be gone because after Russia, say any other country invades an African country, then we will never be able to say, let's defend that African country politically, because, you know, the whole idea of sovereignty in international law is being contested here by Russia invading uh, Ukraine, another country. And, you know, that is really been in a post-colonial Africa. For African countries, you know, the idea of sovereignty, of being independent, has had a really strong, uh, it's been a really strong principle. And and, and by South Africa and other African countries supporting Russia Mm. in the Ukraine war, um, we undermine that fundamental principle, post-colonial African principle yeah. of independence. Mm. Hey, Professor Zondi, where do you think we should be standing in this conflict? I, I, I think uh, we we should, as 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 it is the case, um, oppose invasion. There should be never be uh, justification for invasions, uh, for breaching the territorial integrity of other countries. Because we would not appreciate anyone breaching our own territorial integrity. Uh, we should, secondly, related to that, we should uh, oppose military means of governance, of diplomacy, of international relations in this day and age. It was okay in the 15th century, maybe, but in this day and age, military means never solve any problem. Therefore, Russia is wrong to use military means to solve the problem that it had. And I also think similarly, uh, militarizing Ukraine is wrong um, because it doesn't solve the problem. Um, What is a serious indictment on the world today is that there has been an abandonment of diplomacy as the only durable solutions to the major conflicts and tensions in the past 100 years. We've managed very difficult situations in the past, and that was through diplomacy. And then suddenly, right now, we abandoned that, mm. and there is now a huge uh, focus backed by Russia by going militarily into, into Ukraine. Now the rest of those that I thought were morally correct to oppose Russia then act like Russia militarize uh, Ukraine, sacrifice Ukrainian children and, and, and men and women in the name of some geopolitical victory that is being, reco- being required. 
So for that reason, it's very important uh, to oppose the invasion, but also to oppose responses to the invasion that are militaristic. Mm. And that leaves you with a position called non-aligned position. And if you look at how African countries have voted in the United Nations, they have voted, they have said, we oppose the invasion, and, and but we also oppose the responses to the, the invasion uh, because they would not help bring about peace. And then they abstain. Um, because if you, you are forced, if you go with the condemnation of Russia, it comes with all other things. It doesn't... Uh, the, the, when we vote for yes, we are not just saying yes, we condemn. We are saying yes, we condemn, therefore in sanctions, therefore the, the, the arming of uh, Ukraine is correct. Many African countries would never find it correct. Mm. That, some of those countries have government that have armed uh, themselves and brutalized people, they were wrong. But it can't be correct that you have a military solution. Uh, to what was a militarily, what was a, a wrong military move by Russia. Mm-hmm. Hey, Professor Kumedi, I, I, you know, part of this uh, pre- the pressure, you know, to take sides for African countries, including South Africa, to take a stand, you know, either either for Ukraine or for Russia, you know, that or, or to condemn Russia, you know, for, for example. A uh, part of the conversation has been that okay, South Africa is going to regret not uh, siding with the with NATO or with with the US or with Ukraine. That there are going to be consequences economically. Is is this an empty threat or is it something we should be taking more seriously? I mean, you know, I don't think there is an either or, and I think those who make the arguments, I think they're just being silly. Um, you, you know, if you look at Brazil's response, and Brazil is a fellow member of BRICS just like us. Now, Brazil criticized Russia um, for the invasion, but it did not mean that it supported all of the other things. Um, you know that the Western, you know NATO, the Western countries um, uh, wanted them to do so. So, um, and and it is very important. So, from a country, we should have had a much more nuanced approach by saying, you know, we criticize what Russia is doing and the invasion and so on, and we support the human rights of all the um, Ukrainian people. And that doesn't mean we now automatically um, are now uh, pro-US or pro-NATO. Um, in fact, that shows us actually as very independent, uh, standing firm, standing for democracy, standing for human rights, um, uh, and so on. Now, in terms of, you know, um, the consequences um, for having um, uh, a neutrality position which is actually in favor uh, um, of of Russia. There are consequences of of, of really that we have to deal with. I think the first thing is, um, you know, our bigger bigger trading partners are still, um, you know, the US and the European Union industrial countries combined. Those are our biggest trading partners. And not only our biggest trading partners, but our biggest developmental aid are still coming um, from the industrial world, from you know the NATO members. I'll just give you an example. I mean, I'll just take let's just take you know a social development space, you know the civil civil space. Now, in the social development, is a very broad space, civil space. We've got um, you know it's about um, eight hundred um, to a million um, employees in that space. Um, now we get most of um, the jobs are actually created by overseas development aid, which is coming from the US. 
um, in Europe. So, for example, if the US and Europe just take out that um, development aid, um, we will have 800 jobs gone. So this is not, we're not even talking here about trade issues. We're just talking about removing developmental aid. And I can tell you, even in Africa, a third of African countries' budgets are supported by development aid from industrial countries. Like, like a country like Rwanda has been one of the biggest growth spurs the last decade. If one removes the development aids from, um, you know, from Rwanda's budget every year, you know, it will be negative they will actually have negative growth so it is very very substantial so our the way we position if we're not strategic enough it will have consequences um, for us um, here at home from investment point of view from jobs uh, uh, point of view and mm. so on mm-hmm. hey professor zondi lastly I, I i wanted to ask you know hypothetically if you were president ramaphosa you have just extended an invitation to president putin to visit your country to attend the conference the BRICS uh, summit uh, and then the icc decides that actually he's a war criminal who, who you need to arrest if he ever should should, should come to your country what would you do do you do you withdraw the invitation do you do you wait to arrest the guy what 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 would you do um from from where i stand you would do what we've always done in the past when we were faced with an al-bashir and lubenga and a few other people issues you politely ask them not to physically come uh, because you will have uh, the obligation to arrest them in terms of law and all that. So you ask them to po- politely not ask them not to come. Um, uh, and secondly, you um, um, uh, or you convert the summit to a virtual summit and all that. And then I've heard now that uh, the summit might uh, could actually be moved to one of the bigger BRICS countries um, like India, like China, um, um, or even Russia itself. So, so they have a number of options um, to do. But it looks like the, the simplest one is to convert the summit into a virtual summit, as it has been by the by the way, virtual uh, for now for the past three mm. years, mm. and uh, and then and then and move and move on that basis. It seems to me that. Uh, uh, pretty the, the most reasonable one. Uh, the choice uh, chosen on uh, on an Al-Bashi, which was to say, would proceed with the invitation, and then we will ignore uh, the obligation to arrest. Uh, it, it's simply too risky. Um, the the experience that Bashi uh, tells us, which is one of the scariest things, that they can still ignore if they wish. You know, you know, Bashi um, Putin could come. And there could even be a court case and all mm. that, and they can still ignore it, uh, because as we know from the last experiences, there was no consequence. No one was arrested for contempt of court. Uh, no one, because we couldn't figure out who is supposed to be arrested. Yeah, I know it's it's one of those uh, difficult things that had to relate with how you strengthen the court. What happens when a government is in contempt of court? But we then heard after that that the government had been in contempt of court in over uh, 40 cases, some of them dealing with uh, court judgment on uh, on service delivery. So the, the, the idea of government being contempt of court had the pattern already and all that. But that is like a hard-nosed response to say, 
uh, to hell. We're going to do that. They've done it in the past. But I wouldn't advise on that. I'd, I'd, I'd better you, 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 um, you, 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 you convert this summit into a, a virtual, a virtual summit. Mm. And, and Professor Kumete, if you were sitting in uh, in Matlambandlovu and you were confronted with this dilemma, what would you do? Would you would would you politely tell? Uh, putting not to come, and if he says, "What kind of friend are you?" What would you say? No, no, absolutely. I actually agree with uh, Professor Zondi. I mean, you know, I if I was the government, I would actually ask um, uh, a, a President Putin not to come. Uh, alternatively, I think the best, really, most probably the best scenario is to have a virtual uh, conference. Um, because that's, um, you know, previous conferences, particularly during COVID, BRICS conferences were virtual. It's, I think, strategically to move um, the BRICS conference from South Africa to another country really, I think, will most probably hit South Africa politically. Uh, I mean, it will hit the country's stature politically, mm. its um, uh, diplomatic authority. And it would seem it actually will also be almost as bad, <laughs> certainly, as having Putin here because we're being the country at a different dilemma, the dilemma of, oh, you know, the country had now buckled under present um, from industrial countries, you know, which will cause another um, debate in the country and a, and a debate in the ANC. So to escape all of these, um, you know, debates is rather to um, ask um, Putin not to come uh, or to have, I think the best scenario is to have uh, a virtual uh, conference because as I say again I mean this issue is not just about South Africa and South Africa's constitution this has actually now become a bigger issue for the ICC the issue of can one hold uh, members uh, leaders from countries who are not members of the ICC mm. um, accountable so it's a much bigger um, issue than the South African situation and that is why I think either virtual conference uh, will most be the best way out for South Africa. Okay. Well, that's where we'll wrap it up on the Sunday Times Politics Weekly this time round. And I'd like to thank our guests, Professors Pamanja Zondi, who teaches politics and international relations at the University of Johannesburg, as well as Professor William Gumete, who's Associate Professor at the School of Governance at Vets University. We appreciate your time. I'm Mike Siluma. Until next time, do stay safe, stay blessed, and let's do good for our country. Sunday Times Politics Weekly is a production of Arena Holdings. Thanks to our producer, Bulelani Nonyukela. If you liked our show, please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite streaming app and share our podcast with your friends. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe for free on Iono FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Player FM, or wherever you get your podcasts.